Well, again, welcome to church. Uh, my name is Travis, the lead pastor here at Antioch, and I'm so thankful that you are here. It's so good to be back together coming out of the holidays. Hope you had a Merry Christmas and your new year is off to a great start. Uh, we are excited about the things that God is doing, and um, I, I've been uh, trying to find words to describe that that excitement because I feel like that's something that we would always say. We're we're always excited about what he's doing. We're excited about being uh, right on the, the the edge of what he's doing in terms of uh, pressing into God and uh, honoring Him with our lives. But uh, we really sense. And, and I mean this, uh, we, we really get a sense as a, as a leadership team of this church, as we gather together with other leaders in, in our movement, as well as others out, outside of our movement that we walk with, that God is up to something incredibly significant in these days. And, and it's hard to put words to or to, to communicate or even wrap our minds around, but it's to the degree that we find ourselves leaning into God more than perhaps we ever had. There, there's more that God is speaking. There, there are more things that he is doing in the, in the hearts and lives of different people that seem to be aligning with one another that, that, are, that really are, are leading the, the, the larger body of Christ to believe that God is up to something significant in these days. And for us as a people, uh, we have felt the, the stirring uh, to press into those things that we might be right in the middle of the outpouring of God's spirit in a way that perhaps none of us have, have uh, experienced in, in our lifetimes. And that's the kind of thing that we, that we and as I, again, to say not just we, but the larger body of Christ is really sensing uh, for, for this time period. And, and sometimes I feel like a cheerleader, like, oh yeah, that's just kind of what you say. Like sometimes uh, I'll be watching SportsCenter and, uh, and Joy always gives SportsCenter a hard time because anything that happens is like the biggest deal that's ever happened in sports. And it's some new record that's been broken. And it's like, nobody has ever scored that many touchdowns on January 9th before when the temperature was over 58 degrees. And she's like, yeah, what? they just try to keep you watching or something. Uh, but it's, it, so I feel kind of like that, but, it, but, it, but there's just something that, that God is doing and, and that he doesn't want us to miss out on. And, and in some ways that doesn't change how we ought to live, but when there's a fresh expectancy, when, when there is a, a greater hunger that we feel rising in, in our hearts because we're, we're beginning to see uh, glimpses of God moving in ways that we haven't seen. We're beginning to hear testimonies of, 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 of a radical nature, of a supernatural nature. It, we begin to, to lean in a little more and we begin to even do some of the things like we sung about this morning. Let's clear out the clutter of, of our lives and the distractions and, and let's get uh, single-minded Let's, let's get focused on, on the only one that really matters. And, and that's kind of the, the season that we are in and have been in. If you were with us in the fall, we had a, a, a real emphasis that God led us into in believing for and contending for revival. Positioning ourselves both individually as well as as a corporate body uh, to receive from God an outpouring of his spirit that would cause us to come alive in Jesus. Uh, that where, where we would just have a, a spiritual awakening that, that would stir up a passion for him, a passion for his purposes 
in the world around us that again would circle back and just cause us to lean in and become hungry for more. And so we wanna lean into those things, church. And I know there's a lot going on in the world around us and there's a lot of things that we ha we're thinking about for Monday morning and there's relational tensions that we have in our lives and, uh, and all of the, the things that life uh, presents to us. But above all and, and in all and through all of those things, we must cling to Jesus as our only hope, as the, as the only one that matters. And, um, and, and we're gonna be doing some things uh, throughout this semester that are a little different in, in this spring. Um, we're gonna be doing a, a series of studies that we're calling chapter studies. If you've been uh, around for, for a while, you know that, uh, that we'll do book studies at different times where we'll go through a different book of the Bible, spending maybe eight to 12 weeks trying to get a, a more full understanding of a particular book of the Bible. Um, this is going to be something like that, except we're going to be picking a particular chapter out of a book of the Bible and giving some context for where that chapter falls and what's happening in the broader context of the book. But then instead of spending maybe one week on that chapter like we would typically do in a book series, we're gonna spend four or five weeks in this one particular chapter and just say, what is God communicating to us, his church, uh, through this chapter and, and, and really glean from it and allow it to, to, to go deep in us that we might implement it into our lives. And so uh, we're going to be doing a series of those over the course of the spring, and we're going to begin with the chapter of Exodus 33. So we're going to be in Exodus 33 today, and uh, there's a, the, a few reasons uh, why we're going to be there. Um, and uh, one of them is, is very practical in, in the sense that uh, Exodus 33 uh, addresses the, the presence of God and speaks much of the presence of God. And that's language uh, that we find in the Bible. It's language that we use quite often here. But, but at the same time, it may be, not be language that you're fully familiar with. And so uh, because we long to be a people of his presence and we talk about the, uh, the presence of God in our midst, we want to make sure that we just have a, a, a solid biblical foundation for what are we talking about when we talk about the presence of God? What is the, the foundation, <clears throat> excuse me, biblically, <clears throat> sorry, for the, the presence of God and, and, how, and what, is, what is God's heart in that? And, and one of the things that we're gonna find is that God throughout history and throughout the history of his people, he has wanted to establish his presence among his people. Another way to say that is to establish that he is a God who is among us. And we, again, to, to hearken back to Christmas, there's no greater depiction of that. There's no greater proof of that or demonstration of that, that, that God would send his son Jesus to be Emmanuel God with us, but, but throughout history, you see the stories of different generations, uh, um, some that have strayed to get from God and come back to him, and different things where God will come back to his people. He will answer the, the cries of their people to, to save them or to deliver us or to help us, God, and the answer to that is, is always God coming with his presence, it's not just answering the prayer by giving them what they want or, or doing this thing to change their circumstances. It's not always, okay, I want to remind you that I am with you, and I will be with you, and I will walk with you, and then as I walk with you, then there will be breakthrough, then there will be peace, then there will be joy. It's the establishment of God's presence that, that he always comes with uh, to his people. And we're going to see that in the story of the Exodus and we're gonna 
we're going to allow God uh, to firmly establish his presence among us. That's the desire in the end. God, won't you firmly establish your presence among us as a people, that we are a people of your presence. Not just when we're here in this building, but because we walk with you every day. And we carry your presence everywhere that we go by the Spirit of God. And so uh, today's going to be a, a little bit uh, different than the remaining weeks, because, um, particularly because of where Exodus 33 falls later in the book of Exodus. Uh, I believe that we're, I, I needed to spend quite a bit of time here just giving us uh, some of the, the context for which uh, we're going to, to, to need to know about entering into Exodus 33 so that we can get all of it uh, that God wants us to get out of it. So uh, the, the story or the book of Exodus is named after an event. And that event comes on the heels of 400 years of slavery that the Hebrew people, God's people, have, have been under. Okay, so Abraham is a character in the Old Testament that the, the New Testament uh, refers to as the father of faith. He was the one that God initiated with to be, uh, to be a people for God's glory. God initiated with Abraham and said, I want to bless you. I want to give you many descendants, and I want to bless you so that you might be a blessing to the earth. And so it was this blessing that God wanted to give to a people that he might then use that people to, to bless the earth. And we see that happening uh, throughout the, the pages of Scripture, coming all the way to the person of Jesus, uh, who was a came from the, the lineage of, of, of Abraham, that he blessed the earth, right? He, he blessed the earth, and that continues on uh, through the church. The church is meant to be the blessing uh, of God to the people. We are both blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing uh, to, to the earth. That, that's, what, that's what we're called to. And so that began back in these days. Well, in the book of Exodus, you have a character that, that comes on the, the, the scene uh, known as Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh and the, the nation of Egypt uh, begin to threaten that blessing that blessing that came from God uh, through the enslavement of the, the people of Israel. And this particular Pharaoh uh, was more evil than even those before him, particularly in that we see that he had every uh, male child uh, under a certain age killed, murdered uh, among the Hebrew people to limit the population. And so he was threatening and coming against the blessing that God had put upon these people, the, the lineage of Abraham, and, and so in this, God, as a response, begins to raise up a deliverer who is called Moses. And uh, through a series of, of, of miracles and uh, plagues and, and oceans, uh, you know, seas being parted, uh, God supernaturally delivered his people from slavery. And they were set free, and uh, they crossed through the sea that God parted and then brought back together to destroy their enemies, and, and they were now free to walk with God. Well, such as the human nature is, it was literally only three days into this journey that they began to complain. And they, they began to eventually say, why, Moses, did you even bring us out here? We want to go back to slavery. Now, that's, that's twisted. That's, that's contorted. That, there, there's something wrong there, but that's the human condition that we are actually pretty familiar with, that there is so much that God has done for us 
There, there are so many uh, prayers that he has answered. There's so many ways that he's demonstrated faithfulness. He has rescued us from sin, and yet so many times we so easily and so quickly forget. And so we, we always have to be careful in the reading of this story not to estrange ourselves from the, the people of God by saying, how could you see an, a sea parted and three days later be complaining or, or a couple weeks later be saying, I want to go back to Egypt. At least we had enough food or something besides this bread that we have to eat every day or whatever the, the complaining was. There was this wrestling in their hearts though they had seen God, though they knew he was real, they, they, there was this, this struggle. All the while, God is trying to establish his presence among this people, that he is their leader. And he even demonstrates this by a a cloud that would literally lead them and move from place to place during the day and a pillar of fire by night. My presence is here leading you. I am among you. you. I am your God and you are my people. So there's this establishment of presence and yet there was this complaining and this, this thing going on in the hearts of people that I think is, is well captured in Exodus 17, okay? So in Exodus 17 is one of the times that the people are complaining about being thirsty and that we need water and we never have anything to drink and is, we're going to die and we want to go back. And, and then uh, miraculously water comes from a rock and they have all that they need and there's a pool and they set up camp in this area and uh, God provides once again and at the end of that section of scripture in Exodus 17:7, 7, it says that Moses called this place Massa or Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And I think that little question perhaps gets to the heart of each and every one of us. It gets to the heart of some of the complaining or the forgetting or the, the wondering or the fearfulness or the anxiety and all of the things that's, that swirl around us kind of capturing our attention and, and, and consuming us is this question that was asked so many years ago, is the Lord among us or not? And again, we say, how could they ask that? Seriously, how could they ask that after being delivered in this way? These plagues that that consumed their enemies, the sea that was parted, water coming from rocks and, and bread coming from the sky, like how? And yet there is a, a condition of the human heart that always leads us back to this. No matter what we've seen, no matter how uh, we have been healed set freed, delivered, no matter what testimonies that that we've seen, there's something about our hearts that have a tendency to wander back to this place and say, is the Lord among us or not? Is he really going to be faithful? I'm in this situation, but I'm really worried. Why? You're not saying it maybe, but you're wondering, is the Lord really here? And I know maybe some of the the promises of scripture about how, but do I really believe that? And, and, And by the way, that's why it's important to be a, a people of the word of God because they're, 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 or one of the reasons there is that there are so many promises about who God is and who he's made you to be and, and how he's called you to himself that you need to rely upon and stand upon. When, when you come to this place of is the Lord really among us or not, you go back to it and you say, yes, he is because never will he leave me nor will he forsake me. You know, he's always working together for the good of those who love him. You know, there, there, there is this, these, these things that, that are truth 
that we rely upon and, and stand firm upon, and, and it's to fight this very battle. Is he really among us or not? And I think one of the things that God wants to do this morning is help us to identify the places in our lives where we're asking in different language that very same question through our actions, through, through our lack of trust, through our scrambling and trying to get things done on our own efforts or, uh, or you know, all, all of the, the responses that we can at times have where we need to resolve this question and understand that God has made his presence known to us, has made his presence among us, available to us, not to mention, you know, you take this into the New Testament, and as a New Testament believer, the spirit of God dwelling within you, he has established his presence among his people, a people that is blessed to be a blessing. And so we've got this kind of, this thing happening in the hearts of the people, and it's happened several times, and God always shows up, but then they find themselves right back in this place. And then we go, let's fast forward a little bit to Exodus 24, and then we're going to get to 33 soon. But this is actually only 40 days before you get to Exodus 33. 40 days before that, you have Exodus 24, and it's the wrapping up of the covenant, So God has been communicating a a covenant, making a covenant, like I will be a faithful covenant-keeping God to you if you will uh, uh, obey uh, this covenant, if you will come into alignment with it and do these things and uh, and not do other things. You know, there's where the the Ten Commandments come and just these these moral commandments that God gives. And, And the people... Establish this covenant in Exodus 24, and in the end, the, the whole people in one accord uh, say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Like, we're in. We're, we're in with him, okay? So, so now they're, they're in a good spot in this moment, and they say, we're in. This covenant sounds good to us. We want to walk with God. We trust him. We believe in him. And so then in Exodus 24, beginning in verse 13... After this covenant is kind of ratified, it says that Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled down Mount Sinai. For six days, the the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So at this point, you're thinking, things are going really well. Like, the, the, the covenant has been established, the people are all in, and now the, the glory of the Lord has just consumed this mountain. It looks like a pillar of fire. I mean, God's presence is here. He is establishing it. Uh, Moses is going to get the final ratification. He's going to bring it back down, and, and he's up there for 40 days, but what we find out a few chapters later is that the people begin to wonder if Moses is ever going to come back. 
fact, they decide that he's not. And they grow impatient. They, 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 uh, they, they begin to stray in just this short six-week period. And they have, a, they have a golden calf constructed for them. One that they bow down to and begin to worship as the God who delivered them out of Egypt. That's insulting, right? That, that is incredibly insulting, not to mention that it immediately breaks the first two stipulations of the covenant, which is you shall worship no other God besides me, and that you shall no, build no, uh, cast no idol uh, to, to represent me. That, so they've just blown out the covenant within the first six weeks. All the while, they are sitting at the base of a mountain on fire. Literally, you look up, and, and the mountain is what it described it. It looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. That's what it looked like from below. And so we, we have no indication that that has stopped. The glory of the Lord is still there. Moses is in the presence of God, meeting with him. And, and so right there is a mountain consumed with fire, just just fire for the last 30 days or whatever. I don't know exactly the timing of when they decided to construct this calf, but, but they have missed it. And, and do you know that the, the, the condition of the human heart or the, 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 the mortal mind of man has the capacity to, to God to be burning and his spirit to be moving and for us to miss it? And I don't want that to cause an anxiety or a fearfulness of like, oh no, in his faithfulness for those that long for it and that are looking for it and are running after it, that you will not miss it. He's not gonna allow you to just miss it, but, but it is possible to get so distracted or to get so caught up or to get, have a longing that replaces our longing for God that causes us to miss, even the people of God, to miss the fire of God, the presence of God moving in unprecedented ways because they're just so focused on right here and they're not looking at what God is doing and able to see it. Let that not be said of us in this day where I believe God is moving. But let us move with anticipation. Let our eyes be open. And let us, our prayer be God, show us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we want to know what you're doing. We don't want to be content. We don't want to be complacent. We don't want to just walk lackadaisically through life. We don't want to just be, con uh, we just want, want to be consumed by the things of this earth because you know what this golden calf really represented? It, it represented the, 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 the idol, the, the longing of the, the people's heart. First of all, I don't know if you've ever asked the question, where did they get, they just came out of slavery, where did they get all this gold? Well, there's a peculiar passage in Exodus 12 uh, that describes after the 10th plague, uh, the people of Egypt, it just briefly describes it like they wanted them out of there. They wanted them out. And, and God has the, the, the slaves go to, maybe it was their masters, maybe it was people they, they individually served, but they went to the people of Egypt and they said, give us your stuff, basically, and, the, and it said they, there was favor in that moment or they just wanted them to leave or whatever and they gave them their stuff, they gave them their stuff and the Bible says in that way uh, the, the, the people of Egypt were looted by the people of God. So they came away with all the treasures of Egypt. 
And so in some ways, this golden calf, it was literally those earrings, it was those treasures, those ornaments that they wore that they, they made this golden calf out of. So it was an idol uh, almost to this thing that they wished they always had. This lifestyle of the, of the Egyptians that, that was so far removed from them, but if only they could have that. If only they could acquire that. Well, now they've got a God that they've constructed out of those very things. And so God alerts Moses to what's going on. Moses comes down from the mountain, and, and actually God, in his righteousness, in, in his just anger, is ready to destroy the whole lot of the people. And, and, and he would have been right to do so with such blatant wickedness and rebellion. In his righteousness, he could have blotted them out and been completely justified in doing so. Moses, however, intercedes and says, God, will you not show mercy? Throughout the Bible, we, we see God in, in, in perfect tension or in perfect fullness, fulfilling the role of, of justice and righteousness that is perfect and mercy and grace. And, and, and in this way, Moses pleads for, for the mercy and grace of God and, and, and God relents, and yet there is still justice. There are still 3,000 who found their life ended that day because of their part in this insurrection and this rebellion. And there was also a plague that hit the, the people in the camp. And so there, there was consequences for their sin, but God relented from wiping them all out. And, and it's, in, it's in this place that we pick up in Exodus 33. It says this in, in verse one, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. There was a holy response to the, the anger of God, where the people came to a place, again, as God is working to establish the, his presence among his people. The people respond rightly in that when God says, Okay, now I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, because I love you, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the land that I promised, this, this promised land flowing with milk and honey. It's the place for you to be established. And, and not only am I going to give it to you, I'm going to send an angel before you and to drive out your enemies so that you might be established in the land, but I will not go with you. My presence will not be with you. Something had happened in the nation through this experience um, that had caused them to say, God, no. No longer do we just want what we thought we wanted. We, we just want you. In fact, one of the things that, that you'll see here is that 
they took off all of their ornaments. They began to mourn. These were distressing words they, that God wouldn't be with them. And it says they took off all their ornaments. I think this is a picture for us of what, what they once thought they wanted in this golden idol where they brought their ornaments together to construct this image that represented everything that they wanted, that they bowed down to. Now they are taking off their ornaments and laying them down before the Lord and saying, we actually, we recognize the sinfulness of our ways. And we never really, through this journey up to this point, had gotten to this place where we recognized that we, we didn't really want you, we still wanted this thing, and we just thought you could give us this thing. This reality, this life, this, this money, this safety, this whatever, but now we're beginning to realize that more than that thing, that we've wanted coming out of generations of slavery, we want you. We want you. And so their response was right. And it was good that in the journey they begin to recognize more than anything this world can give us, we need you. What, what are these things without you? We're gonna take a moment here to... Um, to hear from, from Stephen Law. Stephen and Haley Law, many of you may know, are, are, are serving overseas uh, with our church. They lead a team from our church in, in Southeast Asia and have been seeing God do some incredible things. They've been back with us for the last three months after finishing their, their first uh, term on the field and are gonna be heading back. And one of the things that, that we do uh, is when they're, when they're back is we love, before they, before they head back, uh, home is to pray over them, to send them back out, to, uh, to, to, to bless them. And we feel like it is a privilege of ours as well as a, a responsibility that we as a church family, as we send more and more people out to the, to the mission field, that we would cover them in prayer. But not only do I want to pray for them this morning, I've also asked Stephen to just come and share, because they've been on a journey over these last three and a half years uh, of their own, where they've left their home. And God has, in new ways, been establishing his presence among them and the work that they've given themselves to. So I've asked Stephen to just come up and just share a quick testimony with us of that in, in life and in, in the reality of, of their very own journey. So here's Stephen. Thanks, Travis. Yeah, my name's Stephen. And yeah, as Travis asked me to share this morning, I just really felt stirred as I was thinking of, you know, Jesus is my everything. He's our everything, right? It's him and nothing else. There's nothing else that satisfies like him. And I was just reminded of the psalm that says, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. And how, how true is it that we could have everything in this world, but if we don't have him, it's, it's rubbish, right? And yeah, as, as we were preparing for this, as I was preparing for this, I felt like I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in Exodus 33, if that's all right, because this is one of my passages in my life that I've held most dear. Because I remember when I first stumbled across it, uh, in the early days of coming to Antioch, I, I, there's this scene, and you see uh, it describes Moses, that Moses, when he would go into the tent of meeting, it said that all of Israel would come out, to their, come out of their, their houses or their tents or whatever, and they would stand at their door, stand in their doorway until Moses came back from the tent of meeting. So Moses would go in, and then they would stand in front of their house. And I just was shaken to the core of God, may, may, may that, that not be me. I don't want to stand and watch someone else go into the presence of the Lord. 
I want to be the one who goes into the presence of the Lord. I want to be the one when God comes and he speaks and he's moving. I want to be in the middle of it. And then the second part of that, right after, and it says, just like as a side note, and Joshua was there and he remained in the place when Moses left. And that's the other thing is, God, I want to remain in you. I don't want to just go in for these moments of encounter, but God, I want to remain in you in the day-to-day. I want to remain in your presence. What are you speaking? What are you doing? Because your nearness is my good, right? Psalm 16 says that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Pleasure is evermore. Everything that we could ever desire or long for or hope for or believe for is met in his presence. And I was reminded also of uh, Travis's sermon a few weeks ago about Nehemiah and how it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that strength is a refuge, right? It's a, a, a secret place. It's a hidden place. It's a stronghold for us. And so in his presence, it's not just joy, not just pleasures evermore, but it's a refuge. It's a stronghold. So everything we have is found in that place. And so I just want to share a little bit of our story, our journey to where we are today and, and how that has been our lifeline as a family as a team in Cambodia, how we have clung to the presence of the Lord. I just remember early on in my, my years of, in high school and college, and even as a young adult, I had a heart for the nations. I wanted to go. And so every chance I could, I took, and I would go overseas every summer. And I would say, I'm not coming back. This is, this is it. God's put the nations in my heart. I'm not coming back. I remember one summer I called my mom. I was like, I'm staying in China. I'm never coming back. And then the Lord was like, hey, you haven't really talked to me about that. Actually, you're going back to Phoenix, and I have, your, your work in Phoenix is not yet done. And so every summer, he kept calling me back here, calling me back, calling me back. Well, in 2015, in a time of prayer and fasting, of seeking the Lord, the Lord spoke so clear. He said, you're going to help end human trafficking in Cambodia through a church planting movement. And just it was like Moses, where the presence of the Lord just came and rested in that space. And I knew this is the time. Because before, I had to wrestle with, hey, I could stay here, but the presence of the Lord is not here. And that's not worth it to me. No matter how promised, like I have these promises that this is my future, this is what God's made for me. If I do it, it's without him. But now I knew, okay, he is calling me and he's going to go with me. And that is everything. So uh, from there, my wife and I, we took a trip. We're like, all right, let's go see what Cambodia is all about. And one of the things that is unique about the presence of the Lord that I just love is, again, his joy is there. His re- he's a refuge for us. And I just remember encountering people that were maybe jaded or distraught and looking at, looking at the brokenness of Cambodia. It's a third world country with all sorts of brokenness and saying, and, and they're, they're despairing. And they're saying, I don't, I don't know what we can do here. There's no hope. There's no hope. They're too broken. They're too far gone. Um, but I just remember, we're like, no, God has called us. He's with us. God can do all things. And I just, we have been marked, our team has been marked by just the hope of Jesus in the hardest and darkest places. And so we're so blessed. It's not in our own strength. We're nothing without his presence, but by his presence, by his grace, we're able to be hope and light and joy in the places of darkness. And I'll just share one last testimony, and then I'll share a little bit of what we're doing. So the testimony is that during COVID, we were there, and everybody was leaving. Everybody left the country. Every foreigner we knew, whether they're a worker or not, they left the country. And we're sitting there and we're praying. We're like, God, we don't want to just go anywhere. Like, we want to be where you are. What are you doing? What have you called us to? And I remember the Lord put on Haley's heart to look back. In April of 2019, we had a a time of training where some people prayed over us. They wrote some prophetic words on a whiteboard. And we took a picture of it. So this is pre-COVID, mind you. In April of 2019, we look back. And there's a word on it. It says, don't quarantine yourself. Go breathe on people. 
Like, who uses the word quarantine before COVID? Nobody. That's not a thing. And so anyways, we knew in that moment again, just the presence of God, the word of the Lord, as we meet with him, he's our refuge, he's our strength, he's our hope. And we said, okay, we're here, we're planted. And from there, one of our Cambodian now partners that we were believing to partner with, he said, hey, because you stayed, I know you take the call of God seriously on your life. And that has opened up a partnership. And so I'll just share real quick, uh, as we're moving into 2023, we're going back at the end of this week. Um, We're really excited. We have two partnerships that are going on. One is with a a local Cambodian um, group called IHOPE, and they work with churches by providing uh, education classes to uh, at-risk communities of kids. So they go into these villages, they find churches and pastors, and they help train teachers to reach their community. Well, they have brought us in for the next year. We're doing a full training with their pastors on spiritual leadership development. So we're teaching them biblical principles, leadership skills, so that they can reach their communities, they can pastor, they can shepherd, and they can multiply their church in their villages. And we're also training their teachers in discipleship training so that they can disciple their kids, help their kids come to know Jesus, help them take, their, take the gospel to their own families and see their their communities reach that way. So that's 60 churches in two different provinces this year that we're really excited about. Um, The second thing is that our local church that we serve at, we don't pastor a church, we're working to mobilize the church and see them multiplied. The local church we serve at, we are launching a discipleship school. So that's in the city we're in, and we're excited to see God, uh, what's the word? Sorry, Kamai sometimes comes to my brain and English doesn't. Um, See him transform hearts and see them mobilized to reach the city. So, Amen. Yep. Amen. Well, I want to invite Haley to come on up here. And um, I just want to take a moment, and often we would, you know, maybe gather around them. But for today, let's just, I want to have you extend your hand uh, as we just pray over them. Because it's important for us as a church family, as we have sent them out, to cover them in prayer, that we don't get to see them regularly or hear from them at all times, that we would just carry them in our hearts. And so let God, even as we pray now, impress something in your heart to continue to carry them in that way. So God, just thank you so much for, for Stephen and for Haley and for the call of God on their lives that they've said yes to. And we just honor them and we bless them in, in Jesus' name to, to have uh, the favor of God upon them as they see, seek to have your, your presence established not only in their lives, in their home, uh, but in the, in the ministry that you've given them and in, in, the, in the nations of the earth. And, and so, Lord, we just pray your, your blessing on them and over their family, over Matilda and Ruby, God, that you would just bless their entire family and uh, that they would have the opportunity and privilege to see your kingdom come and your will be done in the nation that you, you've birthed something in their heart to believe for. Uh, so God, come and provide everything that they need. And may they trust and rest in you uh, as, they, uh, as they serve uh, and live out the call of God on their lives. Lord, we love them. May they feel love and support from this church family, uh, even when they're thousands of miles away. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thankful for you guys. And as they head back to their seat, I just want to uh, give this quick little plug on, on their behalf. We uh, obviously want to be a people that pray for uh, the missionaries that have been sent out from our church, but we also uh, have the responsibility to, kind of to, to cover them and to support them. And one of the things that our, our teams do when they come back on, on furlough, or we call it refuel, 
as they work on uh, reestablishing support, financial support, uh, as that naturally just kind of wanes over time. And so uh, many of you have, have signed up to be a part of their support team. They need about $250 more a month. So they're right there at the end. And I know it's a large room of people, and often it, these things don't work that well in a large room because we all think, well, somebody else will do that. But, but that doesn't always actually happen. So it, it takes somebody just feeling stirred and, and feeling like, God, I want to I be a part of this. There's an inheritance that I have in this nation. Uh, there's something that, that, that I have the opportunity to give to. And so if God's stirring something in you to, to be a part of their team by helping to financially support, there's a, a text to give up here. So you can just text 94,000 to Give Global, and, and you'll, you can scroll down and find SNH Law there. And just to take the opportunity to give and to sow into the kingdom in that way as God leads you. Um, and also, if you would like to get on their newsletter, and I would encourage as many of you want to do this, to, to do it, so, because it prompts us to pray. Uh, so if you want to get on their newsletter, you can email Stephen there, and these guys are going to be out in the lobby just to talk with people. If you haven't had the opportunity to meet with them, make sure you say hello and, uh, and, and get to meet them before they, they head back. And, um, but, but thank you guys. We love you. and so proud of you. Let me just finish up by, by describing one more thing that happened here in Exodus 33. These, these ornaments became kind of a, a, a central figure. It's something that, they, that, that God kind of gave them from, from the nation of Egypt. It was a, a gift from God. It was from the, by the favor of God that they even had it. But it also represented something of a longing in their heart that obviously became literally an idol. But then here in Exodus 33, there's an acknowledgement of sin and wrongdoing. There's a, what's called a, a grieving. They, they, they grieved uh, the distressing words that God's presence would not be with them. And so they immediately took off their ornaments as a sign of grief. Also, uh, the Lord says, instructed them, remove all of your ornaments. You ought to be grieving. And also, these, are, these have been representative of something that is, 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 is an idol for you. And so when you go forward in the book of Exodus, beyond Exodus 33, you have the building of the sanctuary, the tabernacle that God had given the plans to Moses to build. And it was this beautiful representation of, of, of symbolism of the Garden of Eden, where the presence, where the presence of God rested. And so they begin to, to build it. And, uh, and it says that uh, in order to do the building, that the, the people begin, uh, who, those who, it says in Exodus 35, 21, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And so the, the, the ornaments begin to take on a new, new meaning, that it wasn't given unto the purposes of idolatry, but it was actually given as, a, as, a, as an offering to the Lord. And the beautiful thing about that is, is what began to happen in Exodus 36. It says that in verse 3 that they received from Moses, the, the ones who were working on the, doing the work on the sanctuary received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings. They weren't being asked to bring more. It was just this, it was a free will offering morning after morning. So, so there, it just kept happening day after day. People would bring more. 
and then they would bring more the next day. And, and, and so there was just this reviving of, of new people bringing things, people that had already brought some bringing more. Uh, so much so that in verse four, it says that all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing. So the work stopped and they came to Moses and said, you've gotta tell the people they're, they're bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And so Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. That's supernatural, where people start having to be restrained from giving of their possessions. It's supernatural. In fact, it is the, the opposite of what happened before where there was the, the idolizing of these things. Literally, they were being turned into an idol where now the people were having to be restrained to say, this is not ours, it is God's. This is not what we want. We want Him. We want the sanctuary to be built. We want His presence to go with us wherever we go. And they were given unto those purposes. And that is who we've always wanted to be a people who have to be restrained in our givenness to God. Where, where God say, okay, good job, man. Way to go, you can just, you, you know, you, you, can, you can go on now, or you can go, like, you don't, like, wow, that we would have to be restrained from giving to God, a, a, all of who we are. Not just in the, the monetary sense, but in everything that that represented. That we do not trust in these things, we trust in God. We do not want these things. We want his presence. We are not focused on what we might attain. We are focused on what he is doing. And so that's where we wanna go. We want this question of is the Lord among us or not to be fully resolved in our hearts as a people. So then we can operate from the place knowing he is among us. What can we not do? Who can come against us if the Lord is for us, if he is with us, if he is among us? And so God, I pray that that would be established in our hearts. And I, and I just see us even right now in, in the same way that, that the, the, the Israelites took this opportunity and they begin to bring their ornaments and, and their treasures and these riches that at once represented idolatry now are representing this givenness to God, this longing for God, this generosity, uh, this, this desire for his presence, this place of surrender, uh, this place of longing. It was representing all of these things in the spirit. And, and I just see us in the same way, just, just moving into that place. Fact, I just want to invite you to stand with me right now, and, and and we're gonna we're just gonna respond in that similar way where where there there are things that I believe that God wants to highlight that are things that we kind of hold on to that that we have prioritized or that we've gotten distracted by and, and in order not to miss the fire of God and His glory and all that He's doing He's inviting us to come and to lay those things down with great joy in a, a free will offering saying, God, I don't want that. I know it's consumed me at times. I know it's distracted me at times. I, I know I can, I can get bogged down in it, but what I desire is to come and bring it before you. And so we're gonna, we're gonna treat this place like the place of offering where they were literally bringing their offering. 
And so you're going to come and just lay those things down and say, God, I got to get rid of that. I got to unload this because I just want you. And instead of our ministry team members being up here in the front, we're going to have a few of our ministry team members over on the side. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. If as you've heard about God's presence and his nearness, his love for us, and and you don't have a relationship with God, but there's something in your heart that's saying, I want to know this God. I want to know more about him. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. And, and so we invite you to come forward. But, but for this morning, this, this front space, I just want to begin to invite you, even, even now. You don't even have to wait. Just like if there's something stirring in you, like I just need to come and offer myself again to God. Uh, kind of like we began this, the service today. Like I just need to offer it to him. And, and I need to sur- surrender it again to him. We want to invite you into that space. Uh, to, to get it, to position ourselves in a, in a place and in a way that God might come and move.